Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the German New Medicine Podcast. I am your main host, Dr. Melissa Sell, and today for our conversation, I am joined by my life and business partner, Dr. Stephen Robinstag. Hello. And we want to start this podcast just by introducing the topic of German New Medicine in the context of health and healing paradigms, because everyone has and an understanding, a perception of why people get sick and whether yours was adopted on purpose based on your own personal investigation or just kind of something you observed from your family, from the media, from your doctors growing up. Everyone has a perception currently of why people get sick. And the cool thing about German New Medicine is it's a completely new and different paradigm. And so we kind of have to dig in and talk about what we currently believe, what we currently think, in order to kind of set the stage for beginning to open up to this very different, (laughs) very I mean, you'll see that a lot of what you'll learn in GNM is kind of totally opposite from what you thought for years. And, you know, personally, myself and and Steve, we both came from a background of a more holistic understanding of the human body. You know, we're both chiropractors, and so we believe that the body has an ability to heal itself, that lifestyle and nutrition and exercise all play a very important role in staying healthy, not that sickness and disease is just an accident or a mistake. And so we kind of want to go through the different belief systems that currently exist when it comes to sickness and disease. One of the things I've noticed with the GNM stuff is that the significant difference, because it is kind of a paradigm difference, is really easy to overlook, you know, because like you, you see through the paradigm, you know, you don't necessarily look at the paradigm. And so a lot of the times what we'll do when we're exposed to something new is we will tend to use the paradigm that we already have to examine some new paradigm. And when you do that, of course, you miss the point of the new paradigm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, actually, it kind of makes me think about sometimes when I'm taking out my contact lenses, I'll take out one, I forget to take out the other, but I'll put the, I'll end up putting two on top of each other and, and it, it looks really blurry. You know what I mean? That's like, you know, if you put one paradigm on top of another and kind of layer them instead of, of taking one off first and putting the other one on. And that's something I think that we've seen a lot, right? Even in our kind of limited interaction or my limited interaction anyway with other people who are being newly exposed to GNM is that you can see them kind of trying to sort of cram German new medicine into an understanding of health, healing, disease, and all this stuff that they already have. When really kind of fully appreciating it, fully understanding it involves, I mean, whether or not you necessarily buy into it or not, right? Even understanding sort of the claims that are being made and understanding the implications that this could have for what you think about health and healing, um, whether or not you adopt it or not, even understanding the potential is going to require you to kind of take the one paradigm off and put a whole different one on. Right. And so just to kind of, I guess, to frame that and provide a context for, I mean, you know, functionally, what does a paradigm sound like when we're talking about these different things? We'll just go through what I mean, it seems to me like there's like three, pretty much three basic, three common ones that most people's health disease paradigms fit into. The first one, the sort of traditional mainstream medical paradigm, which more or less says that disease is bad and it occurs as a result of errors in genetic material or bugs, parasites, or externally invading things. But most chronic illness is the result of some kind of a genetic problem. And a lot of times, if there's a bug involved, a lot of times the bug is bad because the bug influences something about genetic material, right? Or damages genetic material, causes some kind of bad, weird things to happen. The, the second um, paradigm, and this is like for a lot of people, a huge shift to move into, is what you call the holistic or the lifestyle paradigm. Basic idea here, disease is bad, and it happens because we are living genetically incongruent lifestyles, right? So we are living in ways that place stress on our body, place stress on our body's adaptive capacity, because these are ways that are different. Is that We're living in an environment that's different than that in which our genes evolved, in which our genes came, basically different than the environment that our genes are currently equipped to really handle gracefully in a sustainable way. And as a result of that, our body goes into an adaptation mode. It adapts for as long as it can, but adaptation is, is not the same as thriving. Adaptation is not the same as repair and, and health. Adaptation is adaptation. It's not sustainable. At a certain time, you become unable to adapt anymore, and that's when breakdown begins to manifest. And so disease is still bad. It's just that the explanation for it 
is a little bit different. So instead of having fundamentally faulty genes, you've got okay genes that are in a fundamentally faulty environment, and those genes are not able to sustainably adapt to the stresses that the environment is imposing, and therefore every time the body starts to break down. Now, the GNM perspective, do you want to say something? Yeah, I wanted to just kind of, um, and this is, it's interesting too, because this is kind of the evolution of my understanding, because zero to 18 um, I believe just kind of the normal medical model understanding of sickness and disease that when someone coughed or sneezed by you, you, you know, would get sick because there was now a germ on you that you didn't have before, but now it's there. And now you're going to be sick for X amount of time. You take medication to kind of deal with the symptoms of being, quote, sick. Um, and then and then you get over it. People in my family who had cancer, it was just a huge, scary question mark, a huge, scary, well, we don't know. We don't know why people get cancer. We don't know why this aunt did and this aunt did it. We don't know, you know, how genetically influenced it really is. I just kind of remember a subtle looming fear that, well, Sometimes young people get cancer, sometimes old people get cancer, sometimes healthy people get cancer, sometimes sick people get cancer. It was just kind of a, like, you know, a true random event when someone developed a disease that seemed to have no explanation. And so I kind of, I, I don't think I was an active fear of cancer all throughout my, my childhood, but there were definitely, you know, times that I kind of was like, oh my gosh, what is this bump? What is this here? Am I sick? Do I have something um, scary? You well, know, it's a like, scary subject because you don't have. You know, it, it, but that's the interesting thing about most people who are in that first paradigm is that it's not usually very closely examined. It's like I'm relatively healthy, or I'm, you know, I, I have a certain level of health that I'm accustomed to, and I don't really think too much about this because it's not too relevant to me. And if it is relevant to me, it's probably because I have personal experience with someone being really unwell, in which case you're heavily entrenched in the medical system. There's not necessarily a lot of intellectual investment in it. It's just you kind of defer to the authorities on that one. I think that's how most people, that it, it's by default. You know, it's not like a lot of people necessarily set out to form kind of medical, you know, on the whole. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's that that's, that's sort of the default that everyone falls into. That's yeah. what all the marketing tends to suggest. That's what every pretty much every practitioner you come into contact with talks to you in a way that doesn't outright tell you this is what's happening. Sometimes they do, but everything that is done and said tends to imply that. I think that's the really powerful thing, right? And everything right. about the way your parents talked about illness and everything about the way, you know, it, it all kind of hit, caused you to kind of form this impression about what the nature of illness was. Um, yeah. Something about that too is just thinking about the the outside the outside of your control factor. Like the outside of your control factor that you t- happen to touch a doorknob that happened to have a germ that happened to, you know, land you in the hospital was like, well shit, I'm <laughs> I couldn't have helped that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I happen to have these genes that happen to express themselves in a certain way and at this certain age I happen to have cancer. You know, and so there was very limited personal responsibility. You really, in that model, there's no way to not feel like a victim of of life. No way to not feel like a victim of, well, that's, sorry, but that's just kind of the way things are. Um, and then when I shifted and got a job at a chiropractic office and kind of learned about health and lifestyle and nutrition and exercise and the nervous system and all this stuff that you can do. So here's like, now I'm feeling empowered, like, oh no, there's stuff I can do to prevent cancer. There are things that I can do to make myself less likely to develop, to put myself in this epigenetic state where my genes are adapting in a certain way, um, or you know, that I can build up my immune system. And when my immune system is strong, the belief system there is that it won't break down. If I get, if I come into contact with, you know, bugs and germs, um, that I won't, succumb to a state of sickness because I have a powerful immune system that is killing off all of these bugs and germs. And here I am strong and healthy because of my immune system, because I ate well, I didn't eat sugar, you know, I'm doing all this lifestyle stuff. So it's a measure of more control, I felt at that point. So yeah, and so if you think about the two different ones, the bad thing called cancer is not going to be able to come and get you because if it does, the medical system's going to have a weapon that can kill it. And in the second one, the bad thing called cancer is not going to be able to come and get you because you've got a strong immune system because you eat all that healthy food and you do chiropractic stuff, right? And so you're okay. Um, But in both of those, like, what's the common thing? And this is the thing that's so hard for people who aren't, you know, really used to talking in terms of paradigms or people who are thinking from inside of one paradigm, right? And who've never really kind of deliberately stepped outside of that one or any paradigm to so they see how the paradigms affect what they see. 
is that in both of those something very common which is that the cancer is a bad scary thing that happens to you the only difference really is whether what you can do to prevent it happening and what you what you do if it does happen to try to keep it from happening anymore but there's still an adversarial component there's still an ad there's still a kill cancer there's still a you know uh, you know kick cancer's ass kind of attitude that's a common thing right that this this thing's coming to get us but we've got the tools we've got the weapons it's actually kind of really a primitive you know it's a it, it, remi- it always reminds me of kind of like a, uh, you know, like a little tribe or something like that who has the secret medicine, you know, like the bad spirits coming. But if we do this ritual, if we do this activity, if we do the right things, I maybe think about like the walks and all this different stuff. And all, and it's like, you know, if we, we're going to keep this thing at bay and we've got, you know, science and we've also got, you know, religious belief and we've also got, you know, um, holistic approaches and all this different stuff. That, that But we're always doing battle with this thing. Mm-hmm. The question is what weaponry is most effective. And the thing about GNM that's different, as far as I can tell, the thing that's really significantly different about this is that that adversarial attitude toward disease isn't there, mm-hmm. right? Because, it, it, and this is such a subtle thing, and it's even hard to almost talk about. It's almost like something like I understood it a long time before I could articulate it. And even now, I'm not necessarily like 100% on being able to articulate this in a way that after I've said it, I say, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's exactly what I was trying to get across. But the idea here is that the manifestation of what we call disease. It's actually a a deliberate response um, to biological interpretations of psychological uh, communications from the psyche. And so what this means is that the, it doesn't mean necessarily that the fact that the disease is happening or what we're calling the disease is happening doesn't mean that it's good. It just means that it's not an accident. So it's not something that's happening to the body, right? It's something that the body is doing. And it's not something that like a rogue sort of uh, treasonous element of the body, like like a cancer cell that is uninhibited, right? That has its mitotic cycle or its cell division cycle. You know, it's out of control, and so it's just it's just dividing out of control, and it's like a it's like um I don't know, it's almost like a, a state in a in a union or a province that's rebelling and, and you know kind of going against the, the the body, the confederation of cells. It's not that. It's that the, it's that the body as a whole is doing something. That the, that if you have an illness, if you have a disease process that's going on, or what we call a disease process that's going on, the body's not doing it by accident, right? So that the body is doing that in response to. So that's the first part. The body's doing it. And the second part is that the body's doing it in response to communication mm-hmm. from um, the psyche, from your personal experience, from your perceptions, from what I call in, in my work with people, what it's like to be you. Um, that what it is like to be you, your feelings, your emotions, your perception of yourself, the world, other people, your role in it, like what it feels like, you know, to be you, to go out throughout a day, to have feelings, to your existential position. You know, if you feel threatened, if you feel angry, if you feel anxious, if something, you know, like a shockingly traumatic thing happens to you, the feeling of that trauma is what it feels like for your psyche, your, which is really a signal detection system for the organism, right? So like your eyes and ears and brain and, and perception and all that stuff is basically your body or your organism's method of detecting signals in the environment and moving towards things that are going to be helpful for survival and moving away from things that are going to be sort of antithetical or in, in you know, possible threats to survival. And so you have to start thinking about your experience and your perception in that way, that what it, what it is like to be you is what it feels like to communicate to the tissues of your body information about what your environment is. And then you understand that the body is responding to that communication, which brings up kind of like this question, right, which is, man, is, you know, as the way that I'm feeling right now, if I think about that as communication to my body, is that a communication or is that a signal that I really want to be sending? And it, I think, like, for me, like, the key thing that changes about this, and I think we'll probably in a later episode get into practical implications mm-hmm. and, like, okay, what do I do about this stuff, especially if you have something going on that you're concerned about. The, the real key thing to understand, as far as I can tell, is that, it's not about forcing the process to stop. It's not about inhibiting the body's ability to do what it's doing because the body's doing what it's doing on purpose. That's the idea, is that if there's a cancer, it, that's an activity, that's a process that the body's doing. doesn't mean it's the best or the ideal activity. It doesn't mean we want to let it keep doing it. It just means that we need to find out why it's doing it. Why does it make sense to the tissues of my body to be running this program, right? I mean, they call them programs. Um, to distinguish it from the idea of it there being a disease. 
and and how does it make sense? How does this response make sense in light of personal experiences that I've had, in light of things that I, which is to say the signal detection system, the perceiver, the experiencer of the environment outside of the organism, in light of things that I've communicated to my body, how does it make sense that my body's doing what it's doing? And that is such an interesting thing, right? Because it it it, for, it changes the paradigm from this idea of coercing, right, the body into being healthy, or coercing the disease into leaving the body, or inhibiting the disease's ability to manifest into let me persuade my body to basically start doing things differently than it's doing. Let me persuade my body to stop running this program. It's a persuasion versus a coercion. Mm. It's a it's not a correction of an error. I mean if there that's the interesting thing. If there's an error, it's an error that occurred at the level of communication, right? That you're communicating something to the body that the body interprets in its own kind of unique, sort of old fashioned, really old fashioned <laughs> way. Um, and it responds to in the, in these in these different ways. But the thing is to understand it as that, right? And to then clean up your communication, basically. Yes. And uh, I kind of wanted to tell a little story about how I even discovered German New Medicine, because it's really interesting for us in the context of what we had been doing. So I practiced full time as a chiropractor for three, four years. And then I started doing part time work. And Stephen and I, we started a mental wellness company where we teach people, like you said, about what it's like to be you and how to improve it. And so we were working with what, you know, mindset. We were working with your thoughts, your feelings, your experience, your emotion, and helping people through life challenges, through how can I think about these, you know, this crap in my life in a way that helps me to feel better, helps me to have a better experience of what it's like to be me. And so we had been doing that. And my understanding, though, of stress and bad feelings and, um, you know, like Louise Hay, uh, you can heal your life her book where she talks about oh these different types of you know if you have resentment if you have unforgiveness if you harbor anger if you feel these certain things it will manifest as disease in your body and so that's like a really interesting nuance once again to think okay if i have these bad emotions it's going to manifest as disease in my body but once again you have to get that that point of and what i thought back at that time was that basically you have this um this reservoir of ability to defend yourself from disease. But once you're overwhelmed with stress, once you're overwhelmed with um, bad emotions, once you're overwhelmed with too much of that, that can kind of spill over and manifest as arthritis or you know colon cancer because you're harboring these bad emotions and now they're physicalifying mm-hmm. um, on your tissues. Well, that's just like, I mean, just a, and that's not really quite the case from the Germany medicine perspective. The, the idea is essentially... What passes off as something fundamentally different in my experience is, is in terms of health and sources of disease and illness is it's really just a, a broadening of an understanding. So, for example, pretty much everyone knows that if you consume certain sort of toxic or poisonous materials that you get sick. You know, if you consume a whole lot of lead, I mean, it's, it's not going to be good for your nervous system. Um, and a lot of people who are doing like an emotional work and stuff like that, and they say, oh, resentment causes this and that causes this and all that. The paradigm, and the interesting thing about that is that being resentful actually will, I mean, in Germany, medicine acknowledges this, result in tissue changes, right? The thing is, though, it's not because resentment is a poison. It's not an emotional equivalent of lead, right? It, it, and that's the, that's the key thing to understand is that it's it's not that like, oh, you know, Sugar's bad for you and resentment's bad for you too. And they're both going to give you cancer like that, you know, and, and, and by the way, the cancer is going to happen because there's bad stuff in your system that shouldn't be there. It's, it's that the body is going to be running a program and it's like whatever the body is doing, the body's running a program. And so none of this stuff is just happening to you. That's that idea is that there's something about the, the, about what's happening, right? There's something about my perception. There's something about my experience There's something about what I'm communicating to my organism um, that that makes the body feel like this kind of a response is appropriate or useful or in some ways you know a, a good thing to be doing or sort of something that's going to maximize my chances of survival that's the germany medicine idea and so again it's like if, if you i mean think about it like this if you're in a relationship with someone and you're an effective communicator and that person is doing something that you don't want them to be doing like your spouse for example or your child they're doing something that you don't want them to be doing 
it's not usually a very good idea to try to force that person to stop doing what they're doing, to basically make it so they can't do the thing that they want to do. That That's not really sustainable. Usually it's a good idea to find out why they're doing what they're doing, find out what about your communication is leading them to find out how they're making sense out of doing what you don't want them to be doing and find out if there's something about how you're communicating with them that might be contributing to that. And if there's not, find out some way of communicating with them that will help them make sense out of not doing the thing you don't want them to be doing anymore. And that is, I mean, you know, as far as I can tell, the German New Medicine, that's all it is. I mean, and there's a ton more to it. I mean, it's incredibly, you know, and I don't know all that much about this stuff. That's really more your thing, you know, but there's a ton of information about about the specifics of how this stuff manifests, right? And 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 the embryological layers and sort of like the, you know, the, the way that tissues are derived from different um, you know, really early on in life. I mean, and that is hugely interesting stuff. That has everything to do with why a specific experience will kind of manifest as a certain, why the body will run a certain special program in response to a certain experience. The basic idea, though, is very simple. Yeah. Is that what we call disease is sort of the body's deliberate intentional response to. It's not to your experience exactly. It's, I'm trying to think of a way to put this. It, it's to. Your, what your body interprets your experience and your perception as meaning or suggesting or implying about what's going on in your external environment and about what kind of changes that body might need to make in order to sort of maximize the probability of survival given what your experience or perception is communicating to about the environment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and there's a number of reasons I think that, you know, we'll get into the details, I guess, of how that makes sense in some extreme cases of mm-hmm. different diseases and stuff. But that's that's basically the idea is that it's responding. And so recognizing that, I mean, that immediately for me just makes a lot of sense. And it, it, it seems like a resourceful understanding because it gets us out of this, like, you know, we're going to kick cancer's ass. And it's like, anytime I hear that, I'm like, I totally understand why someone who's disempowered, someone who's afraid, someone who's worried wants to get into that kind of like, you know, let's it's sort of like, you know, gird your loins and we're going to go to battle sort of thing. Um, but, you know, you don't you do not do your best thinking when you're in that kind of an attitude. And it's really easy to overlook things. And you really have divided yourself against yourself in a lot of ways. Is that there's, I mean, there's nothing, I mean, I can't imagine how weird or scary or just kind of existentially kind of being on shaky ground it would be to say, you know, all right, I'm going to kill this cancer. But, you know, there's kind of a way in which this cancer is kind of a part of me or it's sort of, it, you know, but it's also trying to kill me. And But so also I've got to kill that, but I've got to love myself and I've got to take care of my body, but I've also got to poison my body and I've got to do things that make my body feel really bad. That's a very kind of psychologically, uh, you know, it's a heavy lift and it's, you know, it's telling you almost kind of do two things at once. In like the German New Medicine perspective is even if I think you do traditional treatments, and that's probably something else that we'll talk about later, um, it, it's it's so relevant that the difference in your understanding and therefore of your, your experience of whatever's going on with your body starts to change. And you recognize that it's, like, it's a totally different thing, right? <laughs> to think that your, your husband or your wife is doing something because they want to kill you um, than it is to think they're doing something because they think it's something that makes sense uh, but it could be very dangerous for you. I'm going to get them to stop as soon as possible. Let's figure out how to communicate to them in a way that like, it's really important you stop doing this. But those are two different experiences, right? Because in one case, your significant other's actually trying to kill you. And then in, in the other case, which is like what's going on with your body, really, um, your significant other's doing what it thinks is probably best for you. And um, But there's some communication problems that are need to be cleared up. Yeah, this is such a profound shift. And for me, I mean, the moment that I learned about it truly is it because it's such a paradigm shift because it's such a a lens change a perception change it truly is it's like b gnm before gnm and a gnm after i learned about it because um and even i mean if we had been doing this podcast a health podcast a year ago it would have been health focused nutrition focused you know lifestyle intervention things that you can do to improve your immune system focused um and i loved the way that i discovered it was actually researching for steve and i were doing a presentation on magnesium we decided to do a workshop a health workshop um locally on magnesium and so i was doing research and i came across a uh, a video or a podcast actually i think that carolyn dean who wrote the magnesium miracle and really offhandedly the person interviewing her asked her about cancer and magnesium 
you know, because I was really interested in magnesium supplementation and how awesome magnesium was. Um, and she very offhandedly, like in a moment, just mentioned, she goes, oh, you know, for cancer, I, you know, I think along the lines of meta medicine or German new medicine and then just carried on with the conversation. But I was like, hold the phone. What is that? I have literally been in um, new, like, holistic living, chiropractic living since 2005, how have I never even heard those words, German New Medicine? What the heck is that? And then I looked it up and it was just like, hold on, hold on a minute. (laughs) I remember that. I remember it was like that sensation of like, man, you've got to like, you know, get the scaffolding down and like totally move the building. It's like you've started building a building and you've gotten up to, up to the 25th floor and you're going to build like 100 floors. But it's like, you know, you're invested at that point, right? you got 25 floors Ooh. of this building. And then it's like, not only do we have to change the way we're building this thing, we've actually got to move the foundation and it's got to be a different location and it's got to be all the way across town and it's going to be made out of different stuff. It's a huge <laughs> shift. You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. like, it's like a big move. And it's so interesting for me because, again, like I, you know, Everything I know about German New Medicine, I've kind of gotten through osmosis. I mean, it's listening to you. We've had some conversations. And I'm like, oh, I'd spend a lot of time, I guess, kind of making sense out of things that you are explaining to me in light of things that I happen to have come into contact with in the past, understandings of, like, evolutionary biology and stuff like that, which for me, it's really, it's like, you know, a person who's read some books on his own time kind of understanding. It's not at all like a thorough background, you know. But um, it's been really interesting because of the fact that essentially we built, like you said before, this whole course, I mean, the whole, I mean, it's a 10 module year plus long journey into a systematic approach for improving what it's like to be you. And then, you know, come to find out that what it's like to, and I, and I built this because I mean, it's always been kind of self-evident to me that what it's like to be you is hugely important, just, I mean, inherently, and that it's worth improving. That was my whole thing in building this course. I, it was not from... I mean, I wasn't any more interested in health than I was in your ability to make money or have good relationships or just, you know, or anything else in life that's important to you. And so I didn't build this mindset course with, in fact, I was kind of like tired of talking about health in a way because, you know, being in school and time, that was all we talked about for years and years and years. It was like, yeah, okay, got it. I'm healthy. I'm I'm cool. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like health's important. You got that? Okay, now let's talk about what it's like to be you. Um, And so I built this whole course really with not having health in mind at all. And then you sometimes, so we're, you know, we're working with people, the clients are really happy, we're having a lot of fun, we're continually working on improving what it's like to be us. And then you happen on a, a, a sort of uh, German new medicine, a paradigm uh, that without even knowing about our course, of course, you know, or you knowing anything about what we've been doing says essentially that the most important thing for physical health is improving what it's like to be you. And actually that, you know, and that's the funny thing about German new medicine is that it doesn't because it's really funny how two people can be saying something that is the same thing or at least really compatible. But when they're coming from different directions, when you're coming from being a medical doctor treating illnesses versus, you know, a sort of a chiropractor who does now online sort of, you know, um, mental wellness coaching and teaches people how to be happy basically or be whatever they want to be, um, you talk about things in a different way. But it's really interesting that two bodies of information could develop so independently of each other and yet be so so compatible but also answer because a lot of people study GNM and it's okay so what's the next step what do I do about this right so my experience is communication to my body my experience is evoking either the kind of bodily response I want which we would call health or thriving or it's revoking a response or you know a program that I don't want which you know most people would call disease how do I feel better how do I get over this trauma how do I do whatever and it's like well actually you know as a matter of fact we have that's what we do you know and we and we've been doing it um, since way before we knew it had anything to do I mean you know if it's happening in one person, it probably is related. I mean, if, you know, emotion and physical health, uh, what, there was never that, like, causal connection for me. And it was such an interesting thing to discover that and to, and to have something that is so perfectly designed to address an issue or to fill a need that, that you didn't even know was there. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, I, it was never my intention that people would be coming into the Ever Better Life course uh, to help resolve emotional conflicts that were the the cause of physical issues that they were having and yet that's something that's happening now and it's a very interesting thing and of course they come in they love it just like everybody else you know but mm-hmm. it's a it's a funny um really weird to be on my side of it and your side of it too i think to, to have seen kind of how this thing goes and for you to keep talking about all this different stuff and these embryological germ layers and all these you know really interesting stuff that we'll talk about later and 
Um, and I'm just like, yeah, huh, that's really interesting. And then it just oh, more and more and more, it became so clear, like, okay, you're telling, because you were telling me all about like the, the kind of like the deep stuff, the biological stuff, the sort of like, oh, this tissue goes to this and all oh, the right hand of this, you know, results in all the, and, but at the end of the day, the take home message is improve what it's like to be you, yep. improve what it's like to be you. And what an interesting kind of discovery, you know, when that, when that point kind of fell into place, it was like, oh, that's really funny. Yeah. So I want to wrap up just by kind of giving you an overview of the five biological laws and just the background. So this German medical doctor, Dr. Rika Geard Hammer, he, in 1979 uh, or 78, his son was tragically shot. It was just an absolute upset for his entire family. It was unexpected. The, his son lived for three months, I think, with the injuries, but ended up dying in his father's arms. And a few months after that, Dr. Hammer discovered that he had a testicular cancer. And being healthy, being a medical doctor, never having any issues his entire life, he was very suspicious that there was some type of connection between the cancer that he developed and uh, the loss of his son, because that's literally the only thing that he could point to. Um, and a few years later, he had the opportunity in 1981, he was heading up a uh, gyneco gynecological oncology unit. And so he had the opportunity to interview people with cancer and to see if they had some type of shocking trauma, some type of event in their life that they could point to that happened, you know, within uh, recent to their their diagnosis. And he found that without exception, every single one, there was a connection. And so he set off on a discovery journey of making connections, mapping out what had gone on psychologically. It's really, it's a biological conflict. And this is the first biological law. He ended up discovering five biological laws that are, they happen in every single case. That's why he calls them laws. And the first one he called the, the iron rule of cancer. And so the iron rule of cancer and really all diseases is that there is a trauma. There is, it's called in German New Medicine, a DHS, which stands for Dirk Hammer syndrome in honor of his son that died. And the DHS is a shocking event. It's a trauma. It's something that catches you off guard that you were not anticipating, you were not prepared for. In a split second moment, you were surprised or shocked. And so this conflict shock, basically, this is like Steve mentioned with this communication to your tissues. In that very instant, because again, we are programmed for survival. Your All of your tissues are waiting to know what to do based on the signals that they are receiving via the nervous system. And so your mental state, your individual unique perception and experience of the world around you is what's communicating to those tissues. And it doesn't even matter whether the thing that you are perceiving is actually there or not. You know, so many times you, I'm sure, have had the experience of driving down the highway a little too fast and seeing what you think is a police car when it's just a you know an abandoned car on the side of the road but you still went through all of the, the physiological oh shit moment of heart rates going up my hands are a little sweaty I'm really nervous I hope I don't get pulled over in that moment your you made and it was likely before you were even conscious because your body again it's on the lookout it's watching out for everything going on in your environment and the moment it thinks there might be something that it might need to respond to in order for you to survive, it's going to do it. It's not going to wait. It's not going to see, oh, is this for sure something we need to be mm -hmm. um, making changes for? It just is gonna go. It just does it. And so what happens is on the light level of the psyche, so the psyche, your mind, is what interprets the signals from the environment. But as soon as that happens, as soon as there is a shock, a trauma, something that catches you off guard, and it could be little, it could be big. As soon as it happens, your body, your brain makes a split second interpretation 
of the situation, of the scenario, and what tissues are going to be most advantageous to be adapted to survive the situation. So one of the- Just think about, like just an example, just because it was in the news, is this whole, the whole Hawaii incoming ballistic missile thing. Yes, and the whole, absolutely. And you know, this guy's like in this thing, and, and I don't you know, who knows when you're listening to this, but recently some guy accidentally at the emergency services thing put a, pushed a button that sent a text message out to everyone in Hawaii and told them that there was an incoming ballistic missile because of tensions with North Korea. Everyone was especially concerned. I, I'd, be, I'd be alarming under any circumstances, I guess. But once the person pushed that button and confirmed that they wanted to send it, right, um, the message was sent. You can't unsend that message. You can't reach into everyone's cell phone and, and bring that message back. And I think it's kind of the thing with the trauma, that the trauma is pushing that button. The trauma is sending that message, sending that signal. Now, you can't, you can send a, you, maybe you can send another message afterward to say, oh, you know, excuse me, never mind, or oh, hey, this issue is resolved, or my mistake, or whatever. But once the message is sent, you can't unsend the message. And that's a significant thing. And I think that it's like, you know, if, if this seems sort of far-fetched to you, which is, we, actually, it's weird that it does seem so far-fetched to people or that it seems far-fetched to one. I mean, it even did to me, right, in the beginning, which was that the body would be so acutely responsive to undulations in personal experience. Um, until you stop stop and think about the fact that, like, there were the parts in your brain stem, sort of like your old brain that are monitoring sort of CO2 levels, oxygen levels in your blood. And if those things change, it will trigger things like yawning or, you know, you can hold your breath for so long. And if you are, if, if like you are consciously holding your breath and not breathing, there's a point where it's going to take over and make you go unconscious so that it can force you to stop, start breathing again. And so you've got a thing that, you know, parts of, of you that you don't really experience as being you, but they, it's you, right? It's part of your body um, that is very sensitive to everything that's going on. Why it would almost seem strange if these parts of your organism weren't sensitive to and weren't responsive to your experiences, which kind of brings me to an even more interesting subject, which was if what it's like to be you, if your experience, if your feelings, if your thoughts, if your perceptions didn't have significant biological implications, right? If there if there wasn't something that your the tissues of your body. Um, would do, could do, will do in response to these experiences, why would the experiences exist at all? They would have never come into existence if they didn't serve some kind of survival capacity. And what that means is that your capacity to get anxious or to get nervous or to become afraid or to be shocked, or to be disgusted, I mean, to be angered, to feel like people are in your space or in your face or people are trying to, are out to get you or whatever, those things all have sort of relevance for your physiology for your biology, and it's, it, it makes perfect sense really when you think about it. Um, once you get through that, once you get to that first hurdle, everything else is just kind of like, oh, well, that's just another example of this kind of same basic idea. Um, but yeah, that was just kind of a kind of a chronicle for me of that of getting that initial point of saying like, for, because we tend to experience our experience is like, oh, I mean, that's just my experience. That's just me. I know my body. My body's got this disease. And my body's breaking down, and so on and so forth. But I am my experience. But it's like, hang on a second. You have to understand that that's kind of a feature of the software that we're running, um, the software that the body developed from one perspective, and understanding that it's like, you know, don't forget yourself. You know, the fact that there is something that it's like to be you um, is down to the fact that there being something that it's like to be you confers some survival value to the organism, right? Mm -hmm. And understanding, I mean, not always thinking in terms of that, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I love my baby because it can, you know, but, but recognizing, especially when what it's like to be you is something other than what you want, what you want it to be, recognizing that the fact that you can feel so bad means that feeling so bad is communicating something to your body and that your body's responding to it. And the question becomes, do I want my body responding to what I'm feeling right now? Right. So first biological law, psyche, brain, organ. It happens simultaneously. So the trigger is basically set by the psyche, is perceived by the psyche. And in a split second, I mean, your nervous system communicates at 268 miles per hour. So it just, it happens all at once. Immediately, the situation is assessed by your body mind, by your brain, by the survival program that is designed to keep you alive. And it says, okay, it knows immediately which tissues biologically are going to be most advantageous for helping you survive this particular situation. So if it is a death fright conflict, that communicates to the brainstem. So the brainstem is immediately impacted. Dr. Hammer even found that there can be seen on CT scan a measurable impact to certain regions of the brainstem 
that control the lungs, the alveoli of the lungs. And so that program, if you have this death fright conflict, the most important thing your body perceives is that we need oxygen. And so let's do, you know, because we know that we start breathing heavy when we're nervous, when we're scared, when we have a death fright. But also, your body is maximizing the ability to absorb that oxygen that you're taking in by proliferating additional alveoli cells, which are basically the endpoint of you know the air tube that uh, transfers the oxygen actually into the bloodstream. And so that is really profound. That's really important. And so those tissue cells are going to continue to proliferate as long as you are active with the conflict. And now it's really interesting because we are these biological organisms and these programs, these biological special programs evolved and developed at a time period before we had very complex thought before, you know, so the brainstem itself, it's called the old brain or the reptilian brain, which means it's very, very old. And it developed before the cerebral cortex, which is where all of our thinking and philosophizing and concept making goes on. And so all it's concerned with is survival. And it really truly is simply responding to the experience of the individual, to what signals do I need to respond in this moment? And the brainstem is going to continue to respond as long as there is fear, as long as there is panic, as long as you are still experiencing the death fright, even if it was a phony death fright, if you actually everything was totally fine, it was just your perception in that moment, if it was a real death fright, but afterwards you are reliving it psychologically in your mind, you can't release it, you can't let go of it. Um, because biologically, animals, once they're out of a fight or flight situation, they either were dead they either died in the in the scuffle or they got away and once they get away they begin repairing and rebuilding and so the body has a program for building up cells and that's what we end up calling and looking at and saying oh now there is a lung tumor there's a nodule in the lung and we think that it's cancer we think that it's dangerous we think it's a problem we think we need to remove it we need to stop it but the body's saying well, I'm just responding simply to the information that I'm I'm being given, and that's my program. That's what I'm designed to do. We perceive it, I think, as and this is the interesting thing too that if, it doesn't matter how many years you go to medical school, right? It doesn't matter how much you know about data, and that's one of the things I mean that we learn even chiropractic school, right? Is that you you learn, 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 but you bring the beliefs with you that you came in with, you bring the perspective that you came in with, you bring the paradigm that you came in with, and so much of our understanding of the body. Um, so much of the facts that we've collected, uh, has, it's, it's, it's the kind of facts that are collected in the kind of way that a person who experiences themselves as having a body versus being a body tends to collect. And that's what all of medicine is all about, right? It, 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 it's, you know, it's intelligent people who experience themselves as having a body versus being a body. And it's just a totally different perspective. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with it. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. that whole that notion of, you know, why am I doing this? You know what I'm saying? That's an interesting thing. Why am I doing it? Which is see, that's really funny because it brings up one of the things that in my work with people and in changing behavior patterns, whether it's got to do with health or not. Every behavior makes sense if you view it in the complete context in which it's occurring. We call it the ecology of the behavior. You can see a person doing something that looks very destructive, you know, and you'll say, well, there must be something fundamentally wrong. We you know, this person must be fundamentally broken, right? And you know, maybe they've got a genetic problem or whatever. Um, but really, if you know about the patterns of focusing and feeling that give rise to that behavior, if you know about the things they assume are true, if you, it, for example, if you know that they believe that it doesn't matter what they do, it doesn't matter what they do, the same bad things are going to happen to them anyway, all of a sudden this destructive behavior that they're engaging in makes a little bit more sense than it did before. I think the same thing is true of illness, is that we, because we experience ourselves as having a body versus being a body, we tend to regard illnesses as, as this inconvenience, this impudent body of ours, you know, is inconveniencing us, and what a problem. And the doctor goes, and the doctor experiences his patients as being, you know, people, being egos, right, that are, you know, some floating around inside the head somewhere. Um, and, you know, even if even if the brain, right, is, you know, if, if a, something that's going wrong with the brain can cause the person to act in a funny way, um, the person's not their brain, they have a brain. You know what I'm saying? The brain's just a necessary element of them, their personhood. Um, but 
they have this body that's recalcitrant and that misbehaves and that does bad things and, and disease is an inconvenience and you want to coerce the body you want to force the body into doing what you want it to do and that's just such a pervasive kind of thing you know what i mean it's a it's a really i mean it even goes down to people who are who don't like the way their bodies look do you know what i'm saying and they say bad things about their shape of their body and the way their body responds to food and exercise and all this different stuff and that for me is one of the big changes is it's like learning to experience your body as yourself and yourself as your body in a way. Yeah, that's great. I mean, because and that that is that's a fundamental paradigm shift that is you recognizing that your body is you. It is you. It's really the deepest, most profound level of you. It's what allows this, you know, this higher up you to even be having an experience. And so it's really having a deep regard for the millions of years of accumulated cellular knowledge that's embedded in who you are in your very tissues and we have forgotten like you didn't just you know you didn't just show up here one day like there is a you've got a very long legacy that you are representing and they're all of your tissues every single one of them they are designed and programmed to help you to live to help you to survive to help you to adapt and so that lung program that's just one of them but the every single nuance of human experience like steve said if you are able to have a certain experience it confers some type of biological communication anxiety worry fear, terror, isolation, loss, um, self-devaluation. These all have physiological consequences. There are tissues that are going to be communicated with when you are experiencing these negative emotions. And because really it ultimately comes down to a binary. It is a uh, either heal or adapt. Either heal, restore, rebuild, or adapt. Um, it's, you know, am I safe? Or am I in danger? And so all of the things that come before that, all of the descriptive terms that you could say to describe the bad way that you're feeling, all your nervous system hears is unsafe, not safe. We need to adapt. We need to do something. We need to get out of this situation. They're feeling bad. Um, and all the good words that we can put on feeling good and calm and relaxed and healthy and whole and well and at ease, all of that, the body says, okay, we're all good. We can heal, restore, and rebuild. And it's as simple as that. Um, it's more complex because of our minds, because of how complex we make it. But biologically, it's pretty binary. It's pretty, are we adapting or are we healing? Are we adapting or are we healing? Um, so that's the first biological law is uh, the iron rule of cancer, the psyche brain organ correlation and that relationship. The second biological law is the law of two phases. This is an amazing discovery of Dr. Homer, where he found that every disease has two phases. They've got very specific points along the phase so that you can understand where the person is in their adaptation process, in their healing process. I'll do an episode on each biological law exclusively, so I'm just going to wrap up here by listing them. The third biological law is the ontogenetic system of tumor and cancer equivalents. And so this is where Dr. Hammer found, so why is it, and this was something that I was like, why didn't I think more about this in chiropractic school? Because we, you know, we learn all of the all of the sciences in chiropractic school and you've got to learn so much and look at so many x-rays and look at so many disease processes and pathologies and stuff. And so we call things cancer, but why do we call cancer like a lump in the breast, a cancer? But we also call a bone cancer, but bone cancer is a loss of bone. It's a loss of tissue. Why do we also call that, a t why is that a cancer too, where one is additional cells, a lump, and one is the erosion of cells? And that is explained by the third biological law that Dr. Hammer discovered. Then the fourth bi biological law is the ontogenetic system of microbes. And this one I absolutely love. It is Dr. Hammer vindicating all microbes ever as, as things that are helpers, that they actually help repair your tissue. And the reason they're found in, you know, why we think they are to blame, they're the cleanup crew. Yes, they're always there in the circumstance that we have been calling disease, but in reality, they are the cleanup crew. They are there to help repair, restore, and rebuild tissue. And this includes, you know, uh, fungus, this includes microbes, this includes viruses. Um, and so that's, I mean, one of my favorite biological laws. And then the fifth Dr. Hammer calls the quintessence. And that's just that full understanding of all of the biological laws together, knowing that 
What we've been calling disease is not disease. They are significant, biological, special programs designed for your greatest survival, for your ability to live, to adapt, to survive. And so I just think that that is just the most amazing thing. Dr. Hammer gave us such a gift with his work. And I think that every person with a body needs to know about it because if you don't understand that your experience of what it's like to be you is communicating to your tissues, if you think that, you know, that disease is just an accident, it's an error, it's the result of bad eating or bad food or bad things that you've done or smoking or, you know, a bad life that you've lived, we are very much, you know, ingrained in that kind of thinking that you sin and then there's a punishment. You did something bad and now here's your punishment. You lived a bad life and now you, sorry, you've got cancer because you lived bad for so many years. And so many people are put in this horrible position of having to try to shove in all the good foods that they should have eaten over the last 20 years and do, you know, like, let's do this many cleanses and detoxes to cleanse all of this stuff out of your system from all of this bad living that you've been doing when what's really happening is that your body has simply been responding to a chronic state of mind, a state of mind that's been sending a signal saying we need to adapt, we need to make changes, we need to adapt tissue so that, you know, Mr. Brown can survive. And, And that's simply what it is. And so, I mean, I'm really excited to do more podcasts because I've been, um, and if you're brand new to all of this, I suggest to get on YouTube and watch my GNM 101 video because you'll be able to get all of the five biological laws and kind of see the big picture um, before diving into each individual organ and how it responds because there's a story with every single organ, every single tissue has a reason that it chooses to make changes based on the communications it's receiving from your psyche, from your mind. And so we'll do different episodes on the podcast about different um, conditions, so different common things that people are experiencing, how to apply our thought technology to how to improve your experience of what it's like to be you. Um, If you're interested in any coaching and learning more and working with me one-on-one, I work with clients to help them to identify their conflict. So we kind of talk through what do you have going on? What are your symptoms? And the symptoms really, they tell a story. There's not a symptom that happens for no reason. Every time you have a symptom, it's connected to an adaptation. It's a healing phase or it's a conflict active phase. And I help people to, you know, I sit down and do consultations where we figure out what's going on and what changes need to be made so that you can allow your body to give those signals that everything's okay. We can continue with the healing process. Thank you so, so very much for listening. Please leave a review. Give us a an email. You can contact me at drmelissasell at gmail.com. You can look into our Ever Better Life course at everbetterlife.com. And yeah, we look forward to future podcasts. Mm-hmm.